We shall meet, but we shall miss him. There will be one vacant chair. We shall linger to caress him while we breathe our evening prayer. When a year ago we gathered, joy was in. Welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode, I look at around 100 pages of the writings of great American writers using the Library of America as my source material. And we have come to the final episode on this series on Louisa May Alcott's Little Women series. So if you're just joining us, you can go back and go back about 10 episodes and listen to my first episode on Little Women and you work your way through here. If you've read Joe's Boys and you can think you can just jump in at any point, please do so. Um, at the very least, you might want to listen to the series on Little Men and the last episode on Joe's Boys, just so you're up to speed on who these characters are, because I'm not going to go back and cover all the ground I, I just did uh, in those episodes. So now, but basically Joe's Boys is a novel about kind of a class reunion almost so if you take if you read little men little men is about a bunch of 12 13 11 year old boys at this school called plumfield which was established way back in little women at the end of little women and this is set 10 years after the events of that novel when they're all adults and starting to figure out what they're going to do with their lives and some have already have careers some have already gone into adventures others are just thinking about what they're going to be doing in their life and the first part of joe's boys uh, you basically you have uh, during the summer of one year a reunion of sorts where a lot of people come back and visit and they talk and uh, three in particular venture off to do big important things in their lives. One is Emil, a sailor. The other is Dan who wants to kind of go off into the frontier and work with Indians, maybe being an Indian agent and doing other things there. And then you have Nat who's going to go to Germany to study at conservatory and learn to be a musician. And all three of those characters are going to have major challenges at, you know, in the middle part of this novel. We also kind of meet up and, and are introduced to what's been going on with other characters. And some of them decide to get married. Some decide what careers they want to choose. Some make the decision not to start a career and go back to school. So they're all kind of going their individual ways, but they're also deeply rooted in this very strong community of Plumfield and the families that they drew out of. So in the second half of Joe's Boys, we get three chapters exploring what our three main male characters encounter during the winter months of this year. These chapters are called Emil's Thanksgiving, Dan's Christmas, and Nat's New Year. Each young man is facing challenges and struggles and eventually overcomes them, in part because of the lessons they learned while at Plumfield and through their education. These are actually some of the most serious incidents that we have in the entire Little Women trilogy. Of course, we have the death of Beth, uh, the threat of disease, and the Civil War itself, which was a serious threat to Mr. Marsh, the, the, the family, the, the patriarch of the family. Yet, you know, our characters, they tended to deal with smaller issues like fights between sisters or, or like who you're going to marry. Or, I mean, of course, that's an important issue, but it's, it's not up to the level of some of the things that, especially that, that Dan and Emil face in this part of the chapter. So there's, there's some pretty serious stakes and it's people who have read this novel 
and, and kind of read them as kids books, you know, might be surprised at the seriousness of the care that the characters run into at this point. Although, you know, the, I'm not sure, you know, of course I didn't read it feeling any stakes, but so, you know, readers at the time may have really felt that there would be high stakes. And at least one character does not end up well. And we'll talk about that at the very end of this, this episode. So we'll start with Emil. Emil is of course the, the kind of the, the nephew of Joe Marsh and, and Mr. Bear, her husband, who they raise. Um, and that's established way back in Little Women. And so he's a character that's in all three stories after a fashion. Not much in Little Women, but certainly a big role in, in Joe's Boys and, and Little Men. So what happens to Emil in this chapter called Emil's Thanksgiving is they're shipwrecked. He is the second in command. He's like an officer. And so he's left in command and leadership of the survivors as they try to to survive on a lifeboat. Emil must face his own death and he fully expects it. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, they're safe. But he has to make these very adult decisions and really face death with, you know, while still being a leader and, and, and trying his best to guide these people to safety. So it's, it's a pretty serious situation that they're in. Um, but he is able to face his death. And, and here we get a little bit of a taste of, of what's in his head at the time. Another trial came to him and left all the more despairing than before. A sail appeared, and for a time a frenzy of joy prevailed to be turned to bitterest disappointment when it passed by, too far away to see the singles waved at them or hear the frantic cries for help that rang across the sea. Emile's heart sank then, for the captain seemed dying, and the women could not hold out much longer. He kept up till night came, and then in darkness broke only by the feeble murmurings of the sick men, the whispered prayers of the poor wife, the ceaseless slash of swash of waves. Emil hid his face and had an hour of silent agony that aged him more than years of happy life could have done. It was not the physical hardness hardship that daunted him, though want and weakness tortured him. It was his dreadful powerlessness to conquer the cruel fate that seemed hanging over them. The boys he cared about, for since the perils were but one part of the life they chose, the master he loved, and the good woman who had been so kind to him, the sweet girl whose winsome presence had made the long voyage so pleasant to them all. If only he could save these dear and innocent creatures from cruel death, he felt that he could willingly give his life for them. So it's a rather long quote, sorry for that, but it shows you the the stakes that he's facing, and it shows you that he, he's already come to terms with his need to sacrifice himself for these other people who had given him happiness in his life. All right, so that, that's kind of, but he's, he turns out okay. He, he's uh, saved at the end. The, 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 the ship's company and crew are saved. Then we have the chapter Dan's Christmas, and she just, Alcott just jumps right into it and says Dan's in prison, and he's actually been in prison for quite a while at the time Christmas comes about. So he's, he's, been, char he's been sentenced to one year in jail for manslaughter. So... You know, we, we actually have a straight up murder taking place here, you know, man, an, an unintentional uh, murder, uh, manslaughter case. It wasn't malicious at all, but he did have to kind of be penalized for what he did. And here we see that his violence and his kind of roughhousing and his all this stuff kind of comes to have real consequences as an adult. But the thing is, like. It's, he's almost put in a situation where the moral thing to do was to intervene. It was a gambling dispute. He was, in fact, protecting a, a younger man from a gambler. 
um, and he got kind of stepped into it and he hit the guy and he fell over and he like broke his neck or something so he died but it, it was just kind of in a brawl it wasn't meaning to kill him but he was trying to you know he was kind of put in the situation so Dan's character isn't besmirched but it is kind of the end that people like Joe worried about him there was always this concern that he would become an evil man or become a criminal or become a violent man and he doesn't so it's kind of interesting that he, he he commits a violent act but it's not because he's a violent person at all but he's still kind of his his reputation and his is a bit besmirched but he his character deep down is still kind of secure at least from the reader's point of view and so while he's in jail he thinks about his time in Plumfield and we get a nice overview of, of some of his thoughts and you know at Christmas, he yearned so for Plumfield that he devised a way to send a word of greeting to cheer their anxious hearts and comfort his own. He wrote to Mary Mason, who lived in another state, asking her to mail the letter he enclosed. In it, he merely said that he was well and busy, have given up the farm and had other plans which he would tell them. Would not be home before autumn, probably, nor write often, but it was all right, and he sent his love and Merry Christmas to everyone. End quote. So he doesn't, he doesn't want to face up to his those loved ones back in Plumfield about what he did. So he, he lies to them. And this is what we know Nat for doing a lot of his lying, but to hear he's lying, but maybe it's to protect them. And it's actually there. They don't find out till quite later in the novel that, that Dan has been in jail. So it's, it's a pretty lonely year for, for poor Dan. Now Nat's problems in contrast to these other two seem less serious in life and death, but they do show a deep conflict between his nature and his tendencies and his lessons he learned in Plumfield. He's studying music in Europe and he eventually misspends his money and he lives a bit spendthriftly and, you know, just kind of runs through his money too quickly. And he's really relying on the generosity of, of other people. So he doesn't really have any money, income source of his own. So when he faces this lack of funds, he's given basically an internal choice. And he, he kind of comes to this conclusion himself. He's not told this, but he's, he figures it out that either he gives up his education or he has to beg for more money. And he has to write home for more money. Of course, I suppose many students have, have faced this, this dilemma at various points, you know, even today. You know, do I uh, beg for more money for my parents or do I just give up my education? But he finally finds a third route and he asks for help and people help him. And this is maybe something that his, as a street smart kid who's prone to lying, you know, not always trusting other people and not always willing to ask for, for, well, I guess begging is a bit of what he did on the streets, but it's, you know, he, he is kind of a, a loner at times. And that's how we kind of meet him in the earlier chat in the earliest chapters of little men so his initial in incentive or his initial desire is to kind of go it alone try to either just you know just give up his education give up his conservatory training and we get a third route which is actually quite brilliant and that since he's in germany he has a talent he has a skill that other people could use and that's his english so he begins to pay his way through school by teaching english so he basically gets a job and so he he finds a way through his problems without giving up his education or, or begging for more funds from home. So with these three young men in trouble and having to overcome hard times, we then return to Plumfield and see how our New England-based characters are doing. So in the Christmas chapter, we have Plays, which is a really, really nice call-out and shout-out to the original Little Women book that on Christmas Day in the very first or second chapter, the girls perform theatricals, plays, essentially. 
and we have it again here so at the very end of the little women trilogy we kind of are, are we're back to the beginning in a way they received the bad news about emil's ship and and we have a, a really well done chapter i think called waiting and it's alcott doesn't do this much but in waiting she kind of flips through different settings um she i can't think of many times she did that at all in the little women trilogy but in waiting she does so you actually sit with Joe and Mr. Bear and the, them worrying and waiting for news about Emil's ship. We flip to Nat patiently working with his students and waiting, kind of waiting at the way a teacher waits for the students to show promise and progress. And then we, we flip to Dan waiting in jail. And so, so we've got a really nice chapter here called, called Waiting, which is, is almost unique in the way Alcott uh, approaches it. So we learn in, the, in this, and at this point in the story, it's basically wrap up. I think there's only like 50 pages left and it's just kind of wrapping up the loose ends. But we learn a bit more about how Plumfield is developing into a school as well as a very important local institution. Quote, at Plumfield, all found something to help him. For the growing institution had not yet made its rules as fixed as the laws of Medes and Persians and believed so heartily in the rights of all sexes, colors, creeds, and ranks to education that there was room for everyone who knocked and a welcome to the shabby youths from up country and eager girls from the West. The awkward freemen or women from the South or the well-born students from poverty made this college a possibility when the doors were barred. There still was prejudice, ridicule, neglect in high places, and prophecies of failure to contend against this, but the faculty was composed of cheerful, hopeful men and women who had seen great reforms spring from smaller roots, and after stormy seasons blossomed beautifully to add prosperity and honor to the nation. So they worked on steadily and bided their time, full of increasing faith in, in the attempt as year after year their numbers grew, their plans succeeded, and the sense of usefulness and on the most vital of all professions blended them with its sweet rewards. End quote. So this Plumfield has, as we already know, has become kind of a full-blown college of sorts. And I, I said in the last episode that there's not really much mention of, of race and, you know, could really just talking about Dan's encounters with the Indians. But here I just noticed one and you heard it, too, that there is a discussion here that Plumfield is trying to be a, an interracial institution. Yeah, trying to overcome the color line, um, but she doesn't do much with this. So I wouldn't say it's a full theme of the novel in any sense, but it is kind of be trying to be presented as a socially progressive place. On the way, one way they develop as a college is by holding classes in domestic economy for local women. And, and Meg takes part in these courses as well, I think partially as a teacher. The point of all this seems to be this transition of Plumfield from a school for boys to a broader institution of civil society, essentially a university, led by women, in large part, Joe and, and Meg plays a role too. You know, of course, the funding came often from the Lawrences and Laurie, but, you know, it's addressing women's issues in very creative ways. And we even have a, a list of some of the lectures. So Mrs. Joe gave little lectures on health, religion, politics, and the various questions in which all should be interested with copious extracts from Mrs. Cobb's Duties for Women, Miss Brackett's Education for American Girls, Mrs. Duffy's No Sex in Education, and Miss Wilson's Dress Reform, and many other excellent books wise women write for their sisters, now that they were waking up and asking, what shall we do? So once we, again, we, we see that uh, Alcott is making statements about the new women, about feminism, about women's rights, and they're all established here. So... 
the, the institution is really almost becoming a feminist place in a lot of ways. And we will remember that in the first half of Joe's Boys, they were kind of interrogated on their views of, of women's suffrage. And they all had kind of creative answers for that. Well, Emile eventually comes back from his shipwreck um, and tells a story. And the, the news that he's well is was well taken by Plumfield. And he, he sort of becomes a, a, fig, a figure at the Plumfield community for a while. Eventually he goes back off to sea. Um, but along with Franz, his, you know, the other one of the, the bear's nephews, you know, they, they kind of become established there. Eventually they get news of Dan's release from prison and his future happenings. Lori, so this is kind of the first they learn that he's been in jail, I think. And they, they are kind of shocked by that or at least worried about it. And especially that he's in jail for such a, for a violent crime something that really bothers them. But they get news of his release. Now, Lori talks about this, and he's confident that Dan has learned of his failings, failures and will be committed to supporting. And he commits to supporting Dan in the future. And he, 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 he thinks Dan will turn out okay. And Dan does come back, and they all have to have this very serious discussion about the nature of his crime and the guilt and redemption that's, that's required for it. And here's what he's... He's, he's what... Um, I'm trying to think who's the speaker here. Quote, I'm shocked and disappointed by the sin, but I am also very glad and proud and grateful that my sinner has repented, atoned, and is ready to profit from the bitter lesson. No one but Fritz or Lori need ever know the truth. We owe it to them, and they will feel as I do, answered Mrs. Joe, wisely thinking that entire frankness would be a bitter, better tonic than too much sympathy. No, they won't. Men never forgive like women, but it's right. Please tell him for me and get it over with. Mr. Lawrence knows, I guess. I blabbed when my wits were gone, but he was very kind all the same. I can bear their knowing it, but oh, not Ted and the girls. It wasn't murder, mind you. It was self-defense. He drew first, and I had to hit him. Didn't mean to kill him, but it doesn't worry me as much as I ought, I'm afraid. I've more than paid for it, and such a rascal is better out of this world than in it, showing boys the way to hell. Yes, I know you think that's awful of me, but I can't help it. I hate I hate a scamp as much as I do a skulking coyote, and I always want to get a shot at them. Perhaps it would have been better if he had killed me. My life is spoilt. So it's, it's kind of a, a nuanced reading. I mean, he doesn't fully think he's... He never never kind of comes to terms with saying he's wrong about it. He never says he was wrong in what he did. In fact, at this point, he gets very angry when he thinks back at this person that he killed. Um yeah, it wasn't self-defense, and you know he was protecting people who he thought were being seduced by by his his evil ways. Um, but there is this kind of complex discussion here about how much redemption is required, and and even about like how much the community should know, and is this something that we should hide or cover up? Is it something that Dan can kind of be out in public about? And you know he he doesn't want the girls to know, for instance. So he is on some level ashamed. So it, it's hard to to guys fully know how you know which way to go with it. Was Dan being? Was it at that moment of his act? Was he the violent, vengeful character we we just saw speaking out here, or was he really just acting in self defense? It's a little bit fuzzy at this point in the story. 
So as with Dan's, with Dan's return, Alcott is now ready to finish her epic story of the, of the Marsh family in a chapter called Positively Last Experiences. And again, the, the main character here is, is Dan. And he's, all, you know, kind of everyone goes off and does their thing. And I'll just kind of read you the end of the novel, which closes up um, our, our story. It is a strong temptation to the weary historian to close the present tale with an earthquake which should engulf Plumfield and its environs so deeply in the bowels of the earth that no youthful shaman should ever find a vestige of it. But as that somewhat melodramatic conclusion might shock my gentle readers, I will refrain and forestall the usual question, how did they end? By briefly stating that all the marriages turned out well. The boys prospered in their various callings, so did the girls, for Bess and Josie won honors in their artistic careers, and in the course of time found worthy mates. Nan remained a busy, cheerful, independent spinster and dedicated her life to her suffering sisters and her children, in which true women's work she found abiding happiness. Dan never married, but lived bravely and usefully among his chosen people till he was shot defending them, and at last lay quietly asleep in the green wilderness he loved so much, with a lock of golden hair upon his breast and a smile on his face which seemed to say of Asuga's knights had fought their last fight and was at peace. Stuffy became an alderman and died suddenly of the apoxyl Poxley at their public dinner. Dolly was a society man of mark till he lost his money and he found congenial employment in the fashioning tailoring establishment. Demi became a partner and lived to see his name on the door and Rob was a professor at Lawrence College. But Teddy eclipsed them all by becoming an eloquent and famous clergyman to the great delight of his astonished mother and now having endeavored to suit every one of many weddings, few deaths, and as many much prosperity as the eternal fitness of things will permit. Let the music stop, the light die out, and the curtain fall forever on the March family. So that's it. So the main point here is, is that Dan dies a violent death. And, and it, it's kind of the thing we would want a whole novel about almost, right? Like it's, it's, it's kind of titillating. Dan's probably my favorite character of at least of Little Men and Joe's Boys. He's the most interesting, the most complicated and, you know, he, he dies defending his chosen people. I mean, there's so much there to unpack. Like, who are his chosen people? Is he living with the Indians? Is, you know, in what sense is he defending them? Is he defending them from the U.S. Army? Is he defending them from another tribe? And, you know, what happened here? And that could be a whole novel. And um, maybe someone should pick that up. I think this is all public domain now. So if someone wanted to pick it up and see what happened to Dan, it might be... Um, Interesting. Um, so, what to say? Well, the problem, if there's problems with Joe's Boys, it's, it's that it feels a bit like cleanup for much of the novel. And we get whole chapters about characters who are really only there to kind of set to rest plot lines from little men or just kind of finish up their characters. And then at the end, we get this very quick zip through of all these characters Each, actually many of those stories described in that last page could have been full novels um of course alcott didn't live to write them but you know I, I do think there's there's more that could have been told about some of these um i even though it feels like a bit cleanup though the stakes are higher and that that makes me prefer little men and you know i almost think that these two novels could have little men and joe's boys could have been put together the way little women was two novels that eventually get packaged together because it deals with the same set of characters and it, it shows them into adulthood the character of dan is the strongest part of the tale certainly and alcott does not flinch from being honest about his fate and his future and his 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 deep-seated 
his honor and how that leads him into trouble in the frontier. I guess that's something I didn't quite point to, but he is so willing to sacrifice. Uh, in one of the most important chapters in Little Men, if you go back to it, and it's in episode two on Little Men, I, I talk about this, is where his best friend Nat gets accused of stealing a dollar and he sells a book that's very important to him in order to earn that dollar back so he can redeem his friend. And then he's basically willing to confess that he did it and take the punishment for having committed this this crime. And that's a very mature thing. It, it shows self-sacrifice. And until someone else does, someone else came forward and, and confessed to it, he was seen as the guilty party in the community. And we see the, t the trouble he gets into that leads him to jail. And then finally, apparently, the, the trouble that leads to his death are done in defense of other people. So he's not He's not a bad person, but he is a bit like that. How we've described as this untamed horse. He's described it several times in the novel as like this untamed horse or this tamed horse that its wildness is just suppressed under the surface and will come forth at any time. And I think that's really the strongest point of Joe's boys. And, and I like the stuff on Emil. The Nat stuff is, is nice, too. Um, in fact, there's a, a lot of characters have nice moments here. And it, it's good to see, I guess, Plumfield as a character too develop and grow up and become something that's self-sustaining and politically active. And and it's probably the one of these three novels that we read where Alcott is the most upfront about her her views on politics, and especially um, politics for on women's suffrage and, and women in the professions. And, and we have characters here who enter the professions in various ways. Even Meg becomes a bit of a teacher. Um, so the Little Women trilogy really, I think, has a lot to offer a lot of readers. It, it doesn't have to be just read by kids or just read by girls, even. I, I think, especially with little men, but even little women, I think, has a lot to teach young people of both genders. Um, but I, I think it can actually, adults can come back and read it. And I think it's got a lot of interesting things to say about education, about growing up, about community, about family, about how to deal with loss. And then when we look at them all, put them all together, we get some nice windows into the changing economy and then change in society. So we start with this very closed local world, you know, around the March family home. And then by the end of the novel, we're, we're almost global in, in the places our characters are going. And that's, that kind of coincides with the rise of America into an, an imperial force in the world. So um, some final themes of, of the trilogy or the novels. Well, you know, I've been giving themes throughout, sprinkled throughout, so there's not that much more to add, but we get much more here about redemption, something that is a lot in Little Men, too, is the importance of redemption and coming to terms with what you did and even if, you know, taking responsibility for your actions. And Dan does it. Uh, Tom does it when he has to come clean about his, his choice to marry someone who, you know, is not his girlfriend essentially and he has to come clean to his girlfriend and talk to her about it Emil in a way has has a redemptive moment so there's various characters who have but Dan is really the centerpiece of, of this question of redemption and, and I'm not sure he's fully redeemed at the end because he does kind of end the novel quite angry with the person he killed and, and not really fully taking responsibility for for what he did and maybe he doesn't need to because it was self-defense but uh other characters think he he somehow needs to it's it's a big issue that he has to get over in almost spiritual way
Um, this is, I don't know if this is a theme, it's more of an idea, but the high stakes of proper conduct in good education comes up a lot. And that's why Alcott gives these three boys, Nat, Dan, and Emil, such an important crisis in, in their young adulthood. And it's really to, so they can go back and learn off their education. Emil learns to be a leader and to be brave. Dan learns to be self-sacrificing and patient. And, you know, he suffers through a year basically by himself. And Nat learns to be honest and, and self-reliant and, and not depend on others and not to give up. Um, so these are all things he, they get out of their education. And they, they all think back to Plumfield at various times um, during the, these chapters on them. We get a little bit on the criminal justice system and the prison, but really not much. I mean, it's just mentioned that he goes, that Dan goes to jail and he spends a year in jail. But the jail is certainly not presented nicely. And um, But it's not, it's only a year and it's not like Dan comes back traumatized or anything. So it's pretty superficial. But, um, you know, com when we compare it to novels like or books like The Road by Jack London, where we get a big critical examination of the criminal justice system, we just get a little taste of it here. Certainly the West is a theme in this novel, again, through the character of Dan and relations with Indians, um, the settlement of the West, the, the, the need to kind of manage relations with, with the Indians. We got a little bit here on race, um, uh, the fact that the school, this university, Lawrence College or whatever it's called now, Plumfield, I, I think I called it Plumfield throughout these episodes, but I think it actually had a different sort of name now that it's open to people of all races and genders. So tied to that is kind of the importance of institutions to civil society, whether that institution is, is the church or the family or a university or a school or even a friendship and, and a partnership of sorts, these institutions are very key to civil society. A theme that's been here throughout the Little Women trilogy is returning home and setting off, this coming and going. And, and we really see here Joe's initial hostility to anyone leaving her. If we go back to Little Women, especially the first half of Little Women, she hates the idea of anyone leaving. She's openly angry. Even when Beth gets sick, she's, she's angry that Beth is sick. And it's, it's almost an irrational anger. But she's like, you know, you can't leave me. And when she hears about Meg maybe getting married, she's angry about that too. So there's constant anger about people leaving. But she ends up setting off on her own, coming back. And when she becomes a teacher, she's, of course, saying goodbye to people all the time, every year. So Joe's initial hostility to this people departing is replaced by an acceptance of it and seen as just a part of life. And in, in the much more mobile, market-driven, industrial world of late 19th century America, this is a much more common occurrence. And then in a way, and I think I'm just peeling this from the chapter that's with the same name, is waiting, patience, and especially something that adults have to deal with when thinking about the people that were important in their lives who go off on their own. That's the other side of independence. And the acceptance of these young men's independence means a lot of waiting for the adults to see them again. And that kind of loneliness that comes from not having the people you care so much about and spend so much time and effort and love in raising, you know, that you don't know when they'll come back. And sometimes, especially in those days, you, you didn't always get news on what, what happened to people. And you had to read through the grapevine sometimes to find what happened. So that's all uh, I guess I have on the Little Women trilogy. So um, thanks for listening. Um, now we're going to have to pick up a new volume now. 
And the muses have driven me to look at uh, the leather stocking tails. Now don't tell me what drove me to it, but there it is, the leather stocking tails. So join me next time as we meet Natty Bumpo, Hawkeye, Old Leather Stocking, or the Deerslayer, whatever you want to call him, in James Feminor Cooper's novel, The Deerslayer. And may God help us. Thank you so much for listening. You can write me at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Leave your comments um, here or on iTunes or leave a review there. I'd love to hear from you. Um, so until next time, um, keep reading and pick up the Deerslayer if you want to keep up with me and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But a golden cord is severed and our hopes in ruin lie We shall meet, but we shall miss him There will be one vacant chair We shall live